What I'm doing is I am preaching a message that goes along with what we're about to read in this next week. And so I'm doing that every, every single message. And so what we're getting ready to look at uh, are some things we're going to talk about today. But I want to rewind the tape just a little bit to go back to the very first message of the year. We talked about how in the book of Genesis, God created everything, right? And what did he say when he created things? What did he say? It's good, right? He said it's good. And, and we found out that that word good is the Hebrew word tov. And so several times in chapter one of the book of Genesis, God said it is tov. But then we know that sin came into the world, right? And, and it made things not tov anymore, right? I mean, things went downhill very, very quickly. And God has been on a mission to, to what I say, to retov the world ever since, and we get to be a part of retoving the world with God. We partner with God to retove the world. He's making the world good again. That's the end result. That's the end of the story. If you go clear to the end, we get back to, to God's intention of making the world tove again. Now, again, though, there, there's a lot of things happening in the world right now that are not tove. And what we're getting ready to read about is the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is a story about a world gone wrong, or really the people of God gone wrong. But God raises up these judges along the way, judges like Deborah and Samson, Gideon, to try to keep them on track. But, but what we find out is it's, it's a series of trying to please God, but then ultimately failing to please God and failing in sin and falling off and, and doing things wrong again. So it goes to this cycle of trying really hard to please God, but then failing, trying hard and failing, trying hard and failing. And then you get to the very last scripture of the book of Judges, and it says this in Judges chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's a sad place to be, right? But does it sound familiar to anybody? I'm not just talking about in the world today. I'm talking about even maybe in our life. Because sometimes we don't want to admit this, but the book of Judges can kind of be our story. Where we try really hard to please God, but then we fail. And we try hard, and then we fail. And we try hard, and then we fail. And, and we get on this cycle of trying really hard to please God, but then we, we keep messing up. And so we, maybe that's you today. Maybe you've had a destructive habit that you try really hard, but then you end up failing. Or an attitude you try really hard, you end up failing. Or an offense that you try really hard to let go of, but then you end up failing and maybe thought life that you try really hard to get it right, but then you end up failing and you go on the cycle of trying hard to please God, but failing to please God. Then you go to the extreme and you're like, well, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to do this 100-day dare thing. I'm all in, you know, and I, I'm going to not miss a day and I'm going to serve and I'm going to do all this stuff and I'm going to pray and I'm going to get an accountability partner and I'm going to go all the way. But then you try really hard and then you fail. Does this sound familiar to anybody at all? Have you been there before? Yeah. This is the cycle we can end up in at times. I went, several years ago, before we started the church, I went through a season of my life where probably about a year and a half, I, I didn't hear God's voice. I didn't feel God's presence. And I'd grown up in church all my life. I knew, how to, I, I knew what God's voice sounded like. I knew what God's presence felt like. And so I tried really hard to do the things I knew to do. I would read my Bible more, nothing. I would pray more, nothing. I would worship more, nothing. I would serve more, nothing. I would spend time, I'd journal, I'd do everything trying to please God, 
doing everything I knew to do, but nothing. What, what was the problem? Well, what was going on was the same thing that was actually happening in the book of Judges. See, in the book of Judges, they had forgotten something. They had forgotten a really big something. Because if you, if you go back even further, what we just read about, remember the children of Israel came to Egypt uh, and they got grain and they, they, you know, they were saved through the famine because of Joseph. But then the Egyptians, after a while, they weren't so happy with all of the Israelites there. They started taking over, so they turned them into their slaves. They became slaves for 430 years until God raises up Moses. Ten plagues that gets them out of Egypt. They cross over the Red Sea, but they end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years right? But then comes Joshua, the Joshua generation. Joshua and Caleb were the spies that were faithful, and they, they could see into the promised land, this land that God had for them. And uh, they get all the way, and God does miracles. He does he, the walls of Jericho fall. They, they get into the promised land. They eat of the, the fruit of the land. They enjoy God's blessings. But watch what happens if you go to the very book, first of the book of Judges, chapter 2. Gives us a clue to what happened and what went wrong. It says, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. So everyone was following God in the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old. So skip down to verse 10. And all that generation who were also were gathered to their fathers. Watch this. There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. See, here's, here's what happened. They had forgotten what it takes to please God. They had forgotten a pretty big something. Let me ask you a question. If you had to choose between pleasing God and trusting God, which one would you choose? If you could just choose one, I want to please God or I want to trust God, which would you choose? Well, there lies the tension, and there lies what they had forgotten. And to find out the answer to this, we have to go all the way over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, because here's what it says. And without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. You cannot please God. Without faith, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and they rewards those who seek him. See, what you need to get in your spirit today is this. We have to go from trying to please God to trusting to please God. Let me say that again. We have to go, we have to move from trying to please God to trusting to please God. Because you cannot please God without faith. You can't do it. Trust has to come first. And here's the tension. Like if you try to ride that out between pleasing God and trusting God, here, here's what happens when you are trying really hard to please God all the time. See, the road of pleasing God quickly turns into what do I have to do to keep God pleased with me? Is anybody hearing me this morning? Have you been there? Because here's what trying to please God eventually turns into. It's trying to keep God pleased with me. And so we try really hard, and then we fail. We try hard, and then we fail. So what happened at the end of that year and a half for me, I got, I got to the place where I had tried really hard. I tried everything. 
And I was trying to do all the stuff that I knew to do to keep God, ultimately to keep God, try to gain God's favor in some way without realizing it. And I finally got to the end of that, and I, I like said this prayer, and I prayed you know, a thousand, thousands of times in my life before this, but I was praying this prayer, and, and if I'm honest, I said it this way, God, if you're even hearing me, have you ever prayed one of those prayers before? And I meant it. I was like, God, I don't even know if you're hearing me. But if you're hearing me, here's what I want you to know. And I was a little ticked off about it, honestly. I was like, you know, I was one of those, you know, ticked off prayers, right? So I'm like, God, if you're hearing me, here's what I want you to know. That I'm going to serve you and I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to follow you, everything I know to do for the rest of my life till the day I die even if I never hear your voice again, even if I never feel your presence again, I will follow you for the rest of my life until the day I die. You know what happened? I felt the presence of God again after that. But listen, that's not a formula. I'm not telling you that's gonna work for you. I'm just telling you what happened for me. But what was more important than that was that I came to a place of deep trust with God that I didn't need circumstantial evidence to continue my walk with God. I didn't need to keep trying to please God anymore. I had got to a place where I was trusting to please God at a very deep place that it didn't matter that if I never felt the presence of God again for the rest of my life, I was going to follow him. That's a deep place of trust. Now, after 40 years in the wilderness, and you know, the children of Israel under Moses, of trying to please God in a lot of ways, but not trusting to please God, here they stand at the edge of the Jordan River. You know, the Jordan River was really the boundary line to everything God had promised them. Do you guys realize that sometimes we have boundary lines in our life that we get right up to the edge of and we never step over? And you may be there right now. You're right up against the boundary line. And you may keep coming up to that same boundary line until you make some changes in your life, until you start doing some things a little different. But you're going to still see that boundary line. They saw it for 40 years. And they came to the boundary line of all that God uh, promised them. But what was going to get them over was not trying harder. It was going to be trusting deeper. Watch what happens here. Joshua chapter 3, verse 10. Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will, do, he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Parasites, the Gergesites, the Amorites. There's a lot of ites here. The Jebusites, just throw in any other ites you want to throw in there. He's going to drive them all out. Behold the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? It, it, have you guys seen Indiana Jones? Okay. All right, that thing. Like that was actually representing the presence of God because the presence of God would dwell between the cherubim and the tent, the holy of holies. They were carrying literally the presence of God where God was the epicenter, right, at that time. It says the, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of all the earth, is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, each, uh, for each tribe a man. And he's, he's beginning to tell them the plan of what's going to happen. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. Remember, that's the boundary line. They hadn't gone in, they hadn't gone past it. So when the soles of their feet bearing the ark, the presence of God, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. 
Here's what was happening. If they were going to get into their promised land, it was not going to take trying harder. It was going to take trust that as they put their feet into the water, God was going to do something they could not do on their own. And the people in the book of Judges had forgotten that. They had forgotten that it takes trust to please God, not trying. So, so what are some ways that trust manifests itself? Let me share some things that God put on my heart this week. Uh, the, the first thing, I'll say this, I'll just give you three. Trust, if you want to walk this out, trust lets go of our will and our way. And this may be pretty hard for some of us to do. But trust lets go of our will and our way. Sometimes I think things happen in my life just to become sermon illustrations for your benefit. <laughs> this happens to me all the time. Well, there's a project going on at my house that I think is one of those. And just let me take you there to help us understand this. Let's watch. Okay, I'm standing in my bathroom that I've gutted, and it's it was a mess. I mean, there's a, there's stuff everywhere, debris, dirt, all sorts of stuff. Uh, I had to pull up a bunch of rotten boards and stuff that when it had mold on it and all kinds of stuff. I, I uncovered layers and layers of stuff, even back to the 70s linoleum, so that was pretty cool to see. But I ripped it all out, and why did I rip all this stuff out? Well, I ripped it out because uh, a few days ago, I noticed that my, my faucet handle was leaking. So because of that, I had to rip everything else out because I don't, I'm not an expert. So I'm like, just, just rip it all out and just start fresh. And that's kind of what we do sometimes. Like whenever we have a problem to solve or uh, we have a, an issue we're dealing with is we just go to the extreme option. It's like, I'm not an expert, but I'm just going to do whatever I can my way. I'm going to do it my way, not from a position of trust, but from a position of I'm just going to solve this problem my way. And there's an interesting story in Joshua chapter five. You know, Joshua, get, he's getting ready to go into uh, to take over Jericho, but something really interesting happens. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. Now that's not like the answer to the question, right? Are you for us or against us? No. And he says, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come and Joshua fell on his faith to, face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servants? Several things going on here, but a couple things I want to point out is that God has a side. Don't just automatically assume it's your side. Don't automatically assume it's your way. See, Joshua, he at the end, he bows down and he says, well, what do you say? What is your way? And so trust, it lets go of our will and lets go of our way. See, whenever we're trying to please, instead of trusting to please, we end up at that last verse in the book of Judges, which says that there was no king in the land. There was no one uh, to, give us, uh, to give us instructions or no one to be in charge. And everyone does what was right in their own eyes, in their own sight. See, whenever we're trying to please, we end up just doing what's right in our own eyes. And listen, some of us right now, I just said, you know, some of us right now, maybe we're in a marriage and it's not going well. It's going poorly. And so what do a lot of times people do? They go to the extreme option. Well, I'm just going to get a divorce. I'm just going to deal with this problem. The only way I know, I'm just going to rip it all out and I'm just going to deal with it the way that I know how to deal with it instead of a way of trust. 
What if trust was patience? What if trust was getting some counseling? What if trust was getting some godly counsel? What if trust was investing some money into a, a class or something like that? See, trusting God, it means giving up our will, our way, and not just assuming that our way is God's side. Now, on the other hand, some of us, you know, we, we, you know, God may want to do some remodeling in our life, and we've got that leaky faucet, and we've gotten used to the faucet. We've just, you know, we like the sound of it. We like the, the, the sound, the, the soothing dripping that happens all the time. We've just gotten used to it, but God wants to remodel some things in our life, and we don't understand how much the leaky faucet is costing us. But it's our way, it's our will. You see, we have to understand that trusting God means giving up our will and our way. So the question is, are we trying to please or are we trusting to please? All right, Joshua chapter three, let's watch, watch what happens, verse 14. So Joshua told him what was gonna happen, but when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Here's a key detail, though. It's getting ready to happen. Key detail. Now, the Jordan uh, overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. In other translations, it's going to say it was at flood stage. I want you to get this picture of like a flash flood going through this river. This is not a safe endeavor. Okay, they are getting ready to step into a river at flood stage. Okay, it's pretty risky, actually. It says, now the priests bearing the ark, they dipped, their, dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose in a heap. This is a miraculous event that just happened very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down towards the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Miracle happens as they stepped into this flash flood river by faith. What happened? Trust caused them to let go of what was safe and to step into what others thought was very, very risky, right? This was not a safe endeavor in the natural to step into. And, and listen, there were people a generation before that had seen Moses do this. Remember the Red Sea, the same thing happened. Only with Moses, Moses reached out his staff and the sea parted. They didn't actually have to get into it. He just lifted up his staff and the sea had parted. But Moses is dead now. I mean, Joshua chapter 1 just says, just bluntly, Moses is dead, okay? And now Joshua's there. If there's anybody left, which we know that they had died off, but how many of you guys know it's a scary thing when you're Moses, the thing that you had hoped for, the thing that you had been comfortable with, the thing that you were used to is now dead, right? Have you been there? Like the thing that you put your trust in, your hope in, maybe the economy is not going so well or business is not going so well or the relationship that you had your hope in is not going so well. And now you're left with having to make some new decisions for your life, some new things. It's a scary thing when you thing you had hope in is dead. It can become very fear, fearful really quick. You know, according to psychologists and stuff, there are all kinds of these classified phobias. I don't know how many phobias there are. I'm sure somebody knows you know, how many classified. There's you know, probably thousands of them, right? Uh, all these fears that people have. I just pulled out a few uh, just, just, to, just for fun. Hydrophobia, fear of water. Anybody afraid of water? Anybody? Just no one's. Okay, somebody's afraid of water. Okay. Uh, glossophobia is a fear of public speaking. Anybody afraid of public speaking? Anybody? If I brought the microphone down to you, go ahead. I want to see your hand. I'm not going to do it, but I just want to know who it is. 
All right, I just, you're like, I am not getting up there, right? I, I feel like I'm just in my living room right here. This is just comfortable for me, right? Uh, oct- uh, let's see, another one, octophobia, fear of the number eight. Anybody, fear of the number eight? I don't know, I don't understand that one. Uh, maybe this one will hit home, dentophobia, fear of dentists. Do we have anybody who's afraid of dentists in this place? Do we have any dentists in this place? I just, no, okay, I can't find any, okay. Uh, lots of fears. Now, some, some people say, that there are actually only two fears that we are innately born with. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. I don't know if that's true or not. But if that is true, that means that every other fear is a learned fear. I want you to think about that. How many of your fears are learned fears? You see, when it comes to trusting God, I think it's important for us to expose our learned fears. And here's what I want you to understand, the second thing about trust. Trust relocates risk. How you guys know that stepping into the Jordan River at flood stage, that was pretty risky, right? But let me tell you, once God gave them a word to step into the Jordan River at flood stage, stepping into the Jordan River at flood stage became the least risky thing they could do because it was exactly what God told them to do. Is anybody catching this? As soon as God told them and they trusted God, stepping into the Jordan River at flood stage was the least risky thing they could do because trust now relocated where the risk was at. Trust relocated where the risk was at. Let me, let me just give you an example. Uh, years ago, uh, I, I felt like I heard God say to, buy, to, to renew my passport. My passport had expired, and I felt like God said to renew my passport. And, you know, it was going to cost some money to do that. And we had planned on taking a vacation a few months later. But at the time, we didn't have any money to take a vacation, let alone. Uh, we could take a small vacation, but not like go over, you know, out of the country or anything like that. And so I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I don't have money. I don't see where I'm going to get the money. Why would I get my passport this year? Why not wait till next year or something like that? And so I just delayed. I didn't get my passport. Didn't get it renewed. Well, a few weeks out from when our vacation opportunity was scheduled, all of a sudden we came into an amount of money that would have allowed us to take a trip. But I didn't have my passport. And it was too late to get my passport. What I'm saying is this. As soon as I heard God say, get my passport, if I would have trusted God, the most logical and natural thing for me to do next would be to have gotten my passport. That would have been the logical thing for me to do, right? Because why? Trust now relocated where my risk was. If I trust God, my risk has been relocated. So if you trust, the most natural and logical thing to do is to act on what God has said. That's the logical thing to do if you trust. Buy the passport. You know, what used to be risky and scary now becomes natural. It now becomes risky to not follow through on what we trust to be true. See, somebody right now, you know you've heard from God, but you're scared to step into the river. Let me tell you, now that you've heard from God, your risk has been relocated. It now becomes more risky for you to not obey God than to obey God. Playing it safe now becomes risky. 
because trust has been relocated. You know, the, the biggest problem with that, uh, though, is this. See, too many of us, we won't step into the river. We won't step in that flood stage. Why? Because we, we are unwilling to look foolish. The reason why we won't walk out in trust with God many times is because one of the biggest hindrances to walking by faith is the allegiance to our own image. We don't want to look foolish. We don't want to step into the river and be wept away, right? We don't want to step into the river and then it not stand up in the heap and not, there's not a miracle. We don't want to look foolish. But playing it safe becomes ris- risky. Let me, let me just put it this way. If there was a, like a tornado watch uh, and you're out at Smithville Lake and you found out that Jesus is on a boat on Smithville Lake during a tornado warning, okay, what would be the safest place for you to be? In a shelter underground or on the boat with Jesus during a tornado? Well, I'm picking a boat with Jesus in a tornado any day, right? Why? Because the risk now just became relocated. And the riskiest place you can be is outside of the will of God. Which means that the safest place you can be is inside the will of God, no matter how risky that looks in the natural. See, trust relocates risk. What I'm saying is your fear and your destiny sometimes look a lot alike. But you got to step into the river. When I, when I, I'm just, this isn't even a prophetic word for somebody. This is just what it means to walk with God. That whenever you hear from God, the, the riskiest place is for you to be out, is outside of that. And the safest place you can be is in the will of God. All right, let's keep going, though. Joshua chapter 3, verse, that was really good, by the way. You know, I'm not getting any amens. If you're, if you're at home right now, give me an amen, and, and you know, because I'm not getting it in this place. But uh, Joshua chapter 3. Verse 17, so now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant, get the picture, the waters are standing up in a heap on one side, they're actually doing it, you know, and the the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant, they stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. They're standing there with the water, the wall of water that's just standing there, right? But they're having to stand there as everybody's passing by. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Can you imagine the thoughts going through your mind as one of those priests? Like, oh, I hope this works, you know. Hurry, you know, like, (laughs) go. But all these thoughts start going through your mind, right? Like, I wonder if this is going to work. Like, I I don't know. Did Joshua hear everything right? You know, all of these thoughts and probably all these lies, right? And this is what trust does. When you step into trust, the next thing that's going to happen is it's going to expose all these lies that you've been believing. In order for you to walk by faith and to be in trust, you have to face this, okay? Now, how many of you guys were here last week with Lee Cummings when Pastor Lee Cummings was here? All right, several of you were. Some of you guys missed. And so I'm going to bring Lee Cummings to you via video, okay, as an incentive to go back and watch last week because last week's message was amazing and you have to go back and check it out. But also because Pastor Lee is going to expose something, expose a part of these lies that I think is so important for us to catch. So trust exposes lies. Here's Pastor Lee. Will you choose to believe tonight that you have been selected by God to live out the purposes of the kingdom of God, to do something in your generation that has eternal significance? And will you put all of your trust in his choice of you to the point of actually making a decision? I'm going to reject the world's rejection of me. Because here's what I know about rejection. 
Rejection is painful. Anybody ever experienced rejection even by a close friend? If you have, just raise your hand. You know, when you're rejected, you feel like your whole value is questioned. So I grew up in the 80s. None of you remember that. That's okay. But in the 80s, when I was in school, we had these things called roller skating parties. I'm not talking about roller blades. I'm talking about old school roller skates with four wheels on them. So they would put us on a bus after school. It was, that was a big time, going to skating parties. So the buses would pull up, and you'd go into the, you know, the skating arena, and they had the, like these benches that were all carpeted, and you get these skates that 10,000 other people with athletes' feet have worn before you. And then you go and you sit down, and you put these skates on. And when I grew up in the 80s, roller skating was a big deal. So there were always people that you never knew were really good roller skaters until the skating party. But then you'd show up and there's, you know, I, I just kind of was like, you know, you, I could stand up on, my, on, on the skates. That was it. But then there are these kids that like bring their own skates. And they got like these neon wheels, like these turbo wheels on there with like fuzzy balls on them and like speed skates. And they're just like, they're just whipping around the thing and backwards and doing and it's like, who is that? Where did they learn how to do that? And the rest of us are just trying to stay up on our, on our you know, wheels. It's like, da 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 roller skating music. And you're just like, what's going on here? The highlight, the two highlights of skating parties were this. Number one, the race, the speed skate. When they would go, you know, the DJ, stop the music and go, and now speed skate. So everybody go out there. And, you know, you fall, wipe out while everybody else is going in circles around you. Second highlight was ladies' choice. <laughs> ladies' choice. Do you know what ladies' choice is? Here's what, all the guys go stand up on the wall, along the wall. Literally. All the guys, ladies' choice. All the guys line up along the back wall. And the girls get to come out and pick who they want to skate with. So they come along and they like grab a guy's hand and then they go skating together. <laughs> and you, you always know who's gonna get it. It's like, oh, their boyfriend, girlfriend. The afternoon before you go to the skate party, people are passing notes. It was before texting. It's like, will you skate with her? Yes, no, maybe. Because they wanted to make sure that if I ask you to skate, you're gonna say yes. Because the worst thing is a girl going by and the guy going, Bruh. So skating parties, girls go by, ladies' choice journeys playing, open arms, you know, hoping to find some 80s love ballad or something. And I'm the last kid up against the wall. I know, feel sorry for me. But the two guys before me, I wouldn't want to skate with who they skate with anyway, so... It's cool. It's cool. So here's what you do in that moment. You're up against the wall. The song's almost done. And you just be like, I don't want to skate with anybody anyways. And you just like go off to the arcade and play video games. Nobody wants to be the last person on the wall. Because in that moment, in your heart, you feel like rejection. 
Now, there are a lot of young people that experience rejection. They experience it in their home. Or maybe you're not mom and dad's favorite. Or maybe mom or dad has left and there's no relationship. Relationship with your brothers and sisters is broken down and some mean, very hurtful things have, ex- have encountered you, caused you to feel rejection. Or maybe it's a friend's at school or even at church or in your youth group where you just, you feel rejected. Maybe it was a boy, maybe it was a girl that you, you gave your heart to. Or maybe it was an ideal or a cause, but somehow the spirit of rejection will come to visit your heart because if we open the door to our hearts to the randomness of rejection, it will begin to shape our identity and write us into a different story. But if we can be intentional, we can look and say, no, that's not the story that I'm going to be a part of. Because no matter how many times I'm rejected by my friends, how many times somebody says the cruel things that they say about me, no matter how many times, you know, somebody asked out my friend instead of asked me, no matter how many times on social media, somebody, you know, doesn't like something or drops me or doesn't follow me. I'm not going to take that as my identity because I am not finding my approval in the selection of the world. I am finding my identity in the choice that I am a sovereign vessel of God in this generation. And my story is written into his story. That's my value and that's my worth. If you've ever needed to know how much you're worth, don't look towards a fallen human being to tell you your value. Look to a God who put on flesh and blood and said, you wanna know how much you're worth? You're worth this much as he stretched his arms out on the cross and shed his blood for you. And when Jesus was on the cross, he was looking at you. He was thinking about you and he was saying, Father, I'm willing to lay down my life so that we can restore and we can redeem. Lee Cummings, who was born in 1971 in Pontiac, Michigan, he was looking down through the tunnel of time and his eye, his heart is so big that he can encompass the entire universe, but his focus is so laser small that he knows every hair on your head. You are chosen. You've been selected by God. Amen. That is so good. See, when you step into trust, though, it exposes all of these lies. I I say it a different way. When you try to trust God, it brings up all these lies. Let me tell you, about one of these lies that I dealt with for a long time. And here's a lie that that the enemy told me over and over and over again. You're not a starter. That was the lie that I kept hearing. And it was repeated over and over again in my life. So even to the point of when I was in junior high and I'm going out for the basketball team in junior high and I'm in eighth grade and I am riding the bench in eighth grade, junior high basketball. It's junior high. I'm, I'm like at the top edge of it. I should be the, you know, the, uh, the taller one or whatever, you know, was not. Um, but here's what you have to understand about that. In our school, small town, total, kindergarten through uh, 12th grade was like 180 people total in the whole school. And I can't even, I can't even play. There's only eight people on the basketball team. 
The seventh graders are starting before me, one being my younger brother. <laughs> you know how bad this is, okay? You're not a starter. My, my dad, you know, he started a business, and I worked for him for many, many years, and uh, I, would, I would always, in construction, I, I would lead construction crews for him, but I would never go off and start my own thing. I just did, I, I just said that. You're not a starter. My brother did, but not me. You're not, you're not a starter. Then, you know, I felt called to ministry, and, you know, I, I had this miraculous opportunity happen where God put me at a very young age in a very large church, a very large youth ministry. I followed a great youth pastor who had built up this youth ministry to a couple hundred, few hundred uh, teenagers, and I stepped in and took over. And, and even throughout that time, at one point, we doubled the youth ministry from what it was. I would stand up and I'd preach in front of a thousand teenagers at times, and yet at the, I would still hear this in my head, you're not a starter. You can take something and make it better, but you can't build something from scratch. You're not a starter. So then... In 2006, God comes to me and says, I want you to start a church. What do you think, what lie do you think showed up in my life at that time? You're not a starter. You could go go be at a church and and maybe make it better. Other people start churches. You don't, you're not a starter. You have friends that start churches, but you don't, you're not a starter. So I had to make a decision in that time. Am I going to trust God? And step into the river despite the lies that have shown up? Or am I going to believe the lie? Listen, some of us right now, the reason why we're not stepping in the river, it's not because God is not with us. It's not because the ark is not with us. It's because we're believing a lie. We're not willing to step in. See, here's part of the problem. Well, it's really a lot of the problem. Too many many times we're focused on what we're doing instead of what we're believing. So we're looking and trying to fix all of what we're doing instead of what we're believing. That's, you know, that it's possible to change your circumstances and not change your mindset. It's possible for you to change your behavior and still not be set free. That was the problem with people in the book of Judges. They tried to change their behavior, tried to please God, but their, their heart was not any different. Their their believing was not any different, so they would fail every time. The reason why you try to please God and fail, try to please God and fail, is because you're trying to change your behavior instead of your believing. But here's the truth. We, We believe and then we become. We don't become and then believe. And so we so many times people focus on trying to not do bad. Problem is we're fixing the wrong problems. You know, that's why God is not about behavior modification. He's about heart transformation. Because you can, you can change your behavior all day long, but if you never change the heart, it will not stick. You will still be in the same spot that you always have been. We mess up because of misbelieving. So the question is, can we trust what God says about us? Can we trust it to be true? Can we trust it as reliable? Will we allow those lies to be exposed and step into it, realizing that now that God has spoken in our life, that now the risk has been relocated, and anything outside of the will of God is the riskiest place we could be. So as the worship team comes back up, I'm gonna give you a trust test, just one. I feel like somebody might need this test today. Just one trust test. You ready? Okay, let's see. Let's see how you're doing on the trust test and the, and the lies. And it's found in a scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Here's your trust test. There is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Or is there something about you that says, yeah, but? What about last week? What about last year? What about the last relationship? What about... Is there, is there something about you that can say, God, I am going to trust you? Because again, listen, it's not that what we do doesn't matter. It matters incredibly. But the issue is we believe and then we become. If you believe right, the doing will come right. But you can't just fix the doing without fixing the believing. Now, here, here's, here's the question then. Let me just put it in a different way. Somebody might need to hear this. You might need to hear God speaking this to you. And I just want you to hear this as possibly God's voice to you. What what if God were to say this to you? What if you knew that the basis of my friendship and love for you is not based on how little you sin, but on how much you let me love you? some of us we have a hard time letting God love us because of these lies but I'm telling you when you can open up your heart and let God love you the doing comes because we believe and then we become trust lets go of our will and our way it relocates risk it exposes lies can we stand up and just have a moment with God as we close God, we want to move from trying to please to trusting to please. Listen, right now where you're at, you might want to just sit with the Holy Spirit for just a moment and just give him an opportunity because for some of us it may be pretty cloudy right now. We might not understand all the pieces at work right now, but Holy Spirit, I just ask that you bring clarity. Right now, somebody's getting a vision of them stepping into exactly, you you already know what you're to do. You already know. Your Jordan River has been in front of you for quite some time. And the reason you haven't stepped is because it does look risky. Could you just see for a moment, if you know it's God, the safest place you can be is in the river. Lord, we just speak out that we do trust you. We say that as an act of our faith right there, that we do trust you. Lord, I pray for every single person here who's been wrestling with that, that cycle of trying to please. Lord, we rest in you right now. And we say we are you say we are. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.